Hi, and welcome to Com Church Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk you're about to hear. So, I've got a few minutes, just a couple of minutes, just to talk a little bit about a single verse in Scripture, or maybe a couple, I don't know, we'll see. Um, I want to um, talk about worship, which is kind of a strange subject. If you've come along and this is your first time in church, you're like, what on earth is, what are drums doing? I, I mean, I had a friend recently visit the church and she was blown away. She was like, that's not what church is like. You don't have drums. You don't have electric guitars. That's just, is this worship? Is this what true worship is about? Well, Maybe you've been dragged along and you're here to celebrate a little child that's in your family and you wanted to come along to that and, and you're not quite sure what's going on. Well, I just want to speak a couple of minutes and I want to, I want to talk to you, I want to talk to each one of us about this, this idea of, of what worship is. Last week, my namesake, David Carr, he gave an amazing talk about how we end up getting in a kind of like trapped slaves to do things. We, we're slave to do this. I get up in the morning and do what we have to do. And we're slaves to fashion. We're slaves to work. We're slaves to... And it, I didn't hear it at the time. I had to listen to it the following morning. And um, God powerfully impacted my life as I lay there. It's best place to hear a sermon is in bed. I think that's awesome. And then you can respond to God without worrying about whatever else is people's thinking and doing. But I was just responding to God because I realized how easy it is to get entrapped with a mentality that I am slaving away. I work now in a job for the last nine months, which I've not done before, and I some people with whom I work are slaves to the work. They're paid a basic wage like me, and we are slaving away. I do not slave because I am not a slave. I have chosen to work there. I am there because I love the one that sent me. And I choose to act in that role as a servant, and I love to serve people. You come along, I'll serve you an Americano. You can tell me you want it decaf, you want soya, latte, and you'd like a little hazelnut. Uh, you can tell me what you like, and I will serve you. One lady comes in, and she always has two shots in a drink that shouldn't have two shots and extra cream and caramel on top. Who am I to say? I serve her. I even love her because I am sent to love her by giving her those two shots in those extra drink. We use these things all the time where I work. Does anybody know what it is? It's not a come on, come back from your break type thing. It's a, a thermometer. And um, there's my glass of water. And surprisingly, if I stick that in there, my little dial on the top does not move because this glass of water has been here a while and it's at room temperature. 
there's a lady I worked with recently and she was really struggling because of things that were going on around her. And I said, look, uh, I said this, you're too much like this. You're a yes person. So everything that happens around you, you just take the temperature and become whatever anybody else wants you to be. And even Christians, they're like that. They come in on a Sunday, they go, oh, it's cold in the church. I'm cold. My hands are cold. And then you see the person get up to worship or, or to preach and you go, oh, I can't listen to them. Or you listen to your friend goes, oh, not that song again. And you take the temperature around you and it's either a good day to worship or a bad day to worship. It was excellent at church. It was rubbish at church. Whatever, whatever, whatever. And we're like thermometers. And I said to my friend, I said, you know, you don't want to be like that. We have something else in our shop hidden behind a little panel, which you can't see, is what's known a thermostat. And the person with the authority and the power, the supervisor, will come along and will decide what temperature the rest of you are going to experience for the rest of the day. Now, it's supposed to be set at 18 degrees. It's air-conditioned, so you're outside, it's hot, it's still 18 degrees. It's, it's outside, it's cold, inside, it's 18 degrees. That's what the fridge is like, and that's what you as a customer will have to like. Unless you're the supervisor who gets in early, freezing cold off your bus. And what do you do? Set it at 26. And then sometime around 2.30 in the afternoon when I'm starting to mop the floor and uh, do all the dishes and the steam is giving me a free facial from the machine, I suddenly think, I think I'll go and have a look at that little panel behind the door and see what the authority has set, thinking it's 18. It's still 26 degrees. The thermometer tests the temperature and then says to everybody what it is. The thermostat sets the temperature, not according to the environment, but according to the authority. And that's our verse, verse here. It's in Romans, uh, a book which for the first 12 chapters is telling you, basically, you've screwed up. You've got no hope. You've got no chance unless you put your trust in God, because God has done everything for you. And then he explains how that happens. So I haven't got time to go through the first 12 chapters. You can read it at home if you like. Romans was actually the book that was banned in a uh, university because they didn't like the first two chapters of it. Um, so they, then they, they did a campaign saying, come and read the book that the university has banned. That was awesome. Um, but Romans does that. And then in chapter 12, it starts off, there's two verses. It says, therefore, bearing in mind all I've just, he's all just told you, therefore, he says this. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's Mercy. Since we have a God who's merciful, right, to offer your bodies as living, living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God, this is your spiritual or, or quite reasonable act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So true, reasonable worship hasn't got to do with songs. Songs might be involved. Joy might be in your heart or not. Worship, and the root word is actually work or doing, and it's, it's something of an expression of what is important or is valuable to you. 
People who wash their car five times a week and put on that polish and that tea cut, they worship a car. And you know the value of that car by their worship, the way they devote their lives to it. People have their nails done constantly. People have, watch their favorite soap or can tell you everything, every episode of the Trekkie sort of second. We all worship different things, and our investment of time and our work actually indicates what we really worship. Worship, as far as this writer is concerned, is about understanding the mercy of God. Once you know how merciful God is, once you know how good God is, then the only thing you could do is offer your life back. So to be great worshippers, all you need is the right thing or person to worship. All you need is a better revelation of how good and great he is. Now, <clears throat> there are lots of com words on the walls, and we've, we've been doing a series on them in, in, the, in the past uh, month or two. And uh, the one word that's not on the wall is command. And maybe there might have been at one stage somebody saying, we ought to have the Ten Commandments on the wall. Every other church seems to have them, usually written in black and gold, in stone or something at the back. But we don't. And that's maybe strange to some coming into church for the first time. You know, where is the thou shalt not and the shalt thou shouts? Well, we get a lot of shouts, but we don't get thou shouts. Um, Jesus when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said in Matthew 22, that you should, let's see, did anybody know that one off by heart? Love, love the Lord who? Your God, what, how? All, all your heart, okay, anything else? All, all your strength, okay, we're not sure if it's strength or mind that comes first, okay, L let me read it to you. Uh, Hearing that Jesus, uh, right, so one of them, an expert in the law, this is a lawyer we're talking here, okay? Sorry to those lawyers present. I detested Jesus. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, well, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Do you remember the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay, so all the law, all the prophets, all the things, they all hang on this. All the law hangs on these two things. Okay? So, you know, we're not going to do worry about that. But what Jesus is saying is, you want to know the greatest one? It's essentially this. Love with everything you've got for all the time you have with everything to God. You love him. And then you also love as much as you love yourself, someone else. You failed. You failed. I failed. I was 20 years old before I even realized that there was a God. So that's 20 years of failure right then. I've had, I've worked this out, 33 years since. And on some good days, when I do make the coffee nice and I do it sacrificially, maybe I, I kind of love God a little bit on that day. But what about the rest? I have failed because I'm not loving the Lord with all of my heart, with all of my mind and with all of my strength. 
So the law, we fail. The law is basically there to say, you failed. That's God's standard. Fortunately, the good news is there is no need to be under law because there's something better. There is a higher law, and it's called grace. Grace is unmerited favour. It's the determination to love you even if you're unlovable. It's a determination to give to you even though you don't deserve it. And here, God is giving. You see, there is a command which Christians do follow, but it is not love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, some of you are saying, Scott, are you saying I shouldn't love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind? No, no. No, I want to, and I try, but I fail. And that's not my criteria. My criteria is something else. Jesus had his own command, and he gave it to his disciples shortly before his death. You know the bit we read in funeral services in, in uh, John 14? It says, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God. And, well, a few verses on in, in John 15, he says this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Okay, that's good. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Okay, so there's commands to follow here. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and remain his love. I have told you this so that your joy may be complete. Sorry, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus is about to tell us something that's going to make us joyful, not miserable. When I look at the thou shalt nots, I realise I can get quite miserable because then I start comparing myself to everybody else. Well, at least I don't steal as much as they do of the team's time or maybe I, I, you know, the law makes me miserable because I realise I fail. But Jesus is saying here, I'm going to give you something that's going to make you joyful and it's going to be God's joy. It's going to be Jesus' joy. And he's going to put it in me. And I'm going to be complete in my joy. And he says this. My command is this. Love. Oh, okay. We're back there again. Love each other as I have loved you. Okay. So the mark, the standard is not my love, how much I love myself. Well, actually, I don't love myself very much. I'm sure most of you don't need to put on a lot of makeup or do your grooming and things like that before you come out because you love the way you look in the mornings. Me, I, 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 I struggle with me. But Jesus is not saying love other people as much as you love yourself. No, 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 no. Love the way I have loved you. But it's not even a comparison, it's a promise. He's actually saying, as I have loved you, now you are able to love someone else. And it's only in as much as you understand how much I have loved you, will you actually be able to love someone else. Because if you believe that I, I don't really love you until you perform and do the things I want you to, then you're never going to be able to love the people around you with the love that I have. Because he again goes on to say, and this is love. It's his greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Ooh, he used the word friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
Then the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. This is my command, love each other. Let me unpack that in the couple of minutes I've got left and link it to that first verse. How's he going to do that? I have no idea. We'll see how we go. Jesus is saying here, you've heard it said that the greatest commandment is this. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. Actually, if you love, the, uh, love your God with everything you've got, every single day for your entire life, because he created you and he actually owns you by right of creation, then you would have met God's standard. And you feel, I cannot meet that. There's no one that could do that except one person who did and who is speaking here. Because he then goes on to say, actually, what I want you to do is I want your joy to be complete. And the only way you're going to receive that joy is if you recognize how much I have loved you. And then as you attempt to live that love out, I'll empower you to do so. And what's more, whereas last week we were talking about how we were not slaves, but we were servants because a servant chooses to serve, Jesus goes one beyond that. And he says, you're not just servants. I'm not going to call you servants anymore. I'm going to call you sons. I'm going to call you children of God because a servant doesn't know what's going on in the house, okay? Unless you watch upstairs, downstairs, and then the servants know everything, okay? But a servant doesn't know what his master's about. But when the master's son comes to of age, he is told about the family business, the visions, the goals, the aim, what we are doing here in our family name. You can come to this church and first day and you're like, oh, okay, lots of lights, um, and you can even serve in the church. Certainly people will always attempt to slave in the church because maybe they are afraid or a fear in them that they're going to be rejected. And so they might slave in the church. Well, we heard last week, we need to leave that behind and start serving out of choice and out of love. But there's a stage further, I believe, and I think, as uh, Julian said in the first service, it's almost interchangeable, servant, son, servant, son, it's the fact that we have one other thing. Jesus has revealed the Father's heart to us. And it's as much as we understand that, that we will be able to serve as a son, as a child. And we will be able to love even the unlovable. Because let's face it, on your good days, you're not that lovable. And neither am I. So... Coming back to this Romans verse, he says, you, because of God's mercy, now let's just get this right. Why does God even love you? Because it says, God demonstrates his love for us that whilst we were his enemies, he died for us. So God gave everything he had for us when we weren't even on his, we were, he wasn't even on our radar. When I was 20 years old, I was a right pain to be around. And yet God knew me. He knew me from the beginning of the world, not just up in the last 30 odd years and where I'd be here in common serving you wonderful coffee. He knew what me I would be in 20 years time where I'll be in 50 years' time, where I will be in 150 years' time. That's his standard. He knew what I will be in his household forever. And that's his love for me. 
But he didn't love me because I was lovable. He loved me because he loved me, 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 because that is who he is. He loved me before the cross and Jesus dying on it, and he loves me afterwards. The only difference is the cross demonstrates his love for me so that I might enter into the love that he has for me. And Romans here, 12.1, is saying, be changed in your thinking. Don't, don't conform to the pattern of the world. The, the world has got its own idea of what God is like. He's got many ideas of many, many different gods. From Nissan to Rolls-Royce to Lamborghini to Ale, uh, Ali, 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 and all, all sorts of other gods. But none of them died for me, for you, except him. And he says, be renewed in your thinking, change your thinking. There is a word, a religious word that's been adopted by the church, but it was in this word here. And the word is repentance. It means to change your thinking, turn around in your thinking, renew your thinking, brainwash if you like, wash out your brain, change your underwear. It's very useful. Change your thinking sometimes. And we need to change our thinking about what God is like and who we are. And if we do that, change our thinking, we will be transformed in what we actually do. There's a little lizard, and uh, you throw him onto a tarmac road, and he turns black. And you throw him into a tree root, and he turns green. You know, it's called chameleon, and this chameleon will be whatever colour it is on, on around. It's quite spectacular to see a green one run onto a black, black road. I've seen it happen when I'm travelling in Uganda. And the word, he says, do not conform, do not blend in. Do not blend into everything else around you, but be transformed. And the word is metamorphosis. It means like a caterpillar. How a caterpillar is one day is going, munch, 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 crawl, 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 crawl. Hey, I can fly. The world lies to you. It's not Red Bull that gives you wings. It's God. Okay? And I think you need to ask yourself, are you like a thermometer or a thermostat? Are you like a chameleon? Or are you more like a caterpillar? Because if we change our thinking about who he is, then our actions will start to be transformed. So I want to finish this thought to you. How do you need to change your thinking? You may be here for the first time. You may have been here 20-odd years. You may be a son of this house. You may be someone who just walks in. All of us are in a process of changing our thinking. And if we don't change our thinking about who God is and what he has done for us, then it will end in slavery. Either we will reject God and pretend he's not there, or we'll make up our own version of God and start worshipping him or it. Instead, we need to cry out to him and say, show me, 
Reveal yourself to me. Show me what the cross means. Show me what it means that you paid your very life to have me in your family. The Mona Lisa and other famous paintings do not have a value of the canvas. You go into works, you can buy a canvas for about $10.99. If Banksy paints on it, it's then worth how many millions? You look at my body and I think, oh my goodness. That is not my value. You look at my badge that says barista or have a happy day, have a blessed day, that is not my value. My value is that Jesus Christ died for me. He was tortured and hung upon a cross because God was not happy that there was a chasm between me and him. And so he paid for that chasm in his son Jesus. You need to think. And I'll tell you one little phrase that really, really helped me and has changed my life again and again and again. It's this. Daddy, you love me. I changed it for myself because I don't like the word daddy for various reasons. So I decided to call him Papa. I don't pray out loud to that around but each morning or most mornings when I think I've got a rubbish day coming, I get up, sit on the side of my bed before I drag myself out, and I just think to myself, Papa, you love me. That's my value. That's my identity. That's because I am a son who's loved. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you, and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to get in touch, visit our website at www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.